This is Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness. Life-Changing Wellness. Here's Dr. Ward Bond. I'm Dr. Ward Bond, and I welcome you to Life-Changing Wellness, episode number 121. This week's episode is brought to you by Bayleaf Sports Activewear. Bayleaf Sports gives you today's new technology, such as compression, airflow technology, and lightweight materials in all of its products. High quality at affordable prices, and use my code, Dr. Bond, and receive 15% off anytime you order from Bayleaf Sports. Go to bayleaf.com. That's B-A-L-E-A-F.com. Now, before we begin, please head over to iTunes after the interview with my guest today. Rate and review the show for me, and I thank you ahead of time for making our show great. And I encourage you to look at my show page on RadioMD.com slash Dr. Bond. Well, my guest today is none other than Oscar-winning actor Alan Arkin, one of the most beloved and accomplished actors of our time, reveals a side of himself not often shown on stage or screen. And ever skeptical and full of questions, Alan Arkin embarked on a spiritual journey to find something, anything, to believe in. An existential crisis in his 30s led him to the study of Eastern philosophy. Soon, he began opening himself to the possibility that there was more to life than what he had simply seen heard, or been taught. In this mini-memoir, Alan Arkin shares his powerful spiritual experiences, from his brush with reincarnation to the benefits of meditation. In his new book, Out of My Mind, is a candid, relatable, and delightfully forward take on how one man went searching for meaning and ended up discovering himself. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome our guest this week, Alan Arkin. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Ward. Nice to be here. Well, let me ask you, I read your book from cover to cover, absolutely enjoyed it, and uh, because of uh, our interview today, I, I do have a few questions which uh, I really want to delve into here, and I noticed that in the beginning pages of your book, you stated early on in your life, belief systems were wish list. Now, what do you think of belief systems in general today? Well, uh, my... Um Belief systems are wish lists. I, I talk about this in the book. I, I came to that conclusion, I guess, in my 30s. Uh, and wish lists are things you would like to believe is true, but uh, you don't know whether they are or not. And uh, I, I, I felt from, from my own perspective that uh, I, I needed to have less beliefs and less less beliefs and more uh, trust in hard cold facts, scientific facts, or personal proof uh, of something, and 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 let go of the belief systems I had for the first thirty years of my life, uh, most of which were hampering my growth and my and my development, and uh, and took it from there. Well, you know. Well, in in your book, there was uh, at the one of the uh, I think it was either the first chapter. There was something that was that really kind of made me laugh and and chuckle. And I think you really hit the nail on the head here because there were two sentences that you stated in your book that brought you more peace and happiness. The first one was everything changes, and the second one was there is no such thing as too much garlic. Do you still live by those words today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I have another couple of aphorisms that I that I can uh, put there in in my belief system. 
And the, the third one is that it's impossible to be unhappy when you're eating chocolate. Oh, I agree with that. I mean, you know, I looked at chocolate as being God's <laughs> gift to man. And uh, yeah, I can uh, definitely uh, relate to being a chocoholic. So uh, that one I absolutely love and believe. <laughs> and, and I follow it to a T, um, by the way, Alan. I love that. I love that. So, uh, but, you know, there was, you know, your book. Uh, and I want all of my listeners to uh, definitely. I, yeah, I, go ahead. I don't know. If, I don't know if the the the, the 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 first one. It's not that it gave me peace, yeah. but it gave me. It, it put me in touch with uh, a very significant reality that everything changes. Uh, most of us go around thinking that the things we love and care for and uh, and want are going to give us lasting peace and lasting happiness, and nothing does. Nothing does because it's going to change, or you're going to change, or it's going to change you, or you're going to change it. It's just that's a basic law, and it's kind of immutable. I agree. I, uh, and it, it takes a while to get used to it, but when you do, I, I think it finally uh, is comforting. I agree with that because, you know, I think, you know, life itself is full of changes. A lot of people try to fight. They struggle with change. And life is kind of like the seasons. You know, we, we go into, we may have a season in our life that's very, very positive. We may go into a season that becomes a, maybe a, a hardship or a difficult type situation. But, you know, sometimes we have to go by the old line that uh, this too shall pass. And again, it goes back to everything changes. And I think if we, as a uh, human race, will understand that uh, we have to live life with some flexibility, I think we could get through life a little bit easier in understanding the two most powerful words, that everything changes. And I, I just love that about uh, the beginning of your book. Well, thank you. Well, I want to ask you a question because there are so many things in this in, in your mini memoir that I that I want to kind of touch base on here. And in your chapter titled uh, B. Arkin, uh, you started to tell a story about a woman who watched the video about the man named Arigo, who performed some amazing miracles of healing, which we'll get to in a moment. But the woman made a profound statement that I believe is so relevant today. And she says, and I quote from your book, if I believe this, I'm going to have to believe a lot of other things, and I refuse to do that. Now, what was your initial thought about what she had said at the time, and what is your thought about it today? Well, I, it, it, that hasn't changed. I mean, when she said that, I, I, I laughed in astonishment. Here she watched uh, a series of miraculous operations done by a team of American doctors, uh, absolutely miraculous operation. At that time, it was kind of privileged to be watching this. It was, it was a, a 16 millimeter film that these doctors had had done when they got to Brazil, and uh, you can't believe what you're watching. And there was no CGI in those days, so there was no way to doctor a film. You, you couldn't couldn't do it. Couldn't doctor a 16 millimeter film. Uh, and uh, um, I, in fact, two of the doctors, the medical doctors, quit the medical profession when they when they witnessed what this uh, Brazilian peasant was doing with a penknife on people. Uh, but this this lady didn't want to believe it. She didn't want to believe what she was seeing, 
because it meant uh, revising her view of reality. And uh, it seems to me that a happier life would have been to have the courage to revise your your view of reality when facts come along that prove your view is uh, fallacious in some way. You know, when uh, when I, when again, I once again it points to the idea of flexibility. Yeah, and you know, um, and actually going into the chapter of 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 you telling this story about this name about this man named Arrigo, and I was so amazed that here's a man that is was just a local bartender. He became a, I guess I'm going to say a crude surgeon, so to speak. But you were so taken back by the most incredible story that uh, you and your wife actually went down to uh, what Mexico, I believe, and to research no, no, this. Brazil. Oh, Brazil. And to research uh, the people that knew him and um, and your passion that you wanted to produce this film, but you had a problem getting the film produced. But what I found amazing that as you and Barbara were working on this script, you mentioned in your book about every time you would work on it, you would end up with this very bright light uh, in front of your vision. And then your wife at the time, you know, she would come back with the top of her hair singed. And I was like, wow. And I mean, to me, I still want to see you actually make that movie because I think the story is so amazing. And but then you state in the book that, and I, and I quote here, that a magnificent adventure for Barbara and me, the opportunity for us both to have been close to a miracle. Now, based on your belief system today, what is your definition of a miracle? Well, it's very simple. Uh, a miracle is a law of nature that, has, that doesn't have any uh, validity from sciences yet. Uh, it's, it's natural law, but but uh, scientists don't have a a way of examining it as yet. Now, when you were uh, researching uh, to hopefully get this uh, film made, did you? And I'm trying to remember the book because I, I I I did read the whole thing, and I'm being honest about that. I did from page from page one to page 100. I, re I read the whole thing. Did you interview any of the actual doctors that had seen Arrigo in person? Yes, we did. Um, but we did before we went down there. Uh, we, one of the, the one we interviewed was a guy who had who saw his work and, and uh, quit the medical profession. He was an award-winning uh, 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 he uh, ophthalm well, how do you pronounce it ophthalmologist how do, how do you pronounce the word ophthalmologist Ophth <laughs> the eye doctor. Oh, okay. He was an award-winning. <laughs> that's a, that's a good eye doctor. <laughs> yeah, and uh, had, <laughs> had invented many things, had, had patents uh, on 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 forms of eye surgery or uh, or uh, uh, devices that helped with eye surgery. And he went down and saw Arago's work and quit the quit the medical profession and started researching things like it that exist in this country as well. Uh, the closest thing we have in this country to Arago, who, who um, uh, would have been uh, Edgar Casey in the, I guess, the 
forties and fifties in this country. But I would go. Yes, Edward Casey. Wow. Yeah, but uh, Edward Casey didn't perform operations on people like Arago did with a penknife. He was the one doctor we uh, we saw, but he got thrown in jail in Brazil for witchcraft, believe it or not, in the in the fifties, in the nineteen fifties in this country. And uh, we did interview the judge that sprung him from jail. He said the only thing I could convince could convict Arrigo of was not having a title to his magnificent profession. Those were his exact words. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I read that, and and I was shocked that uh, when he was convicted, nobody would put him in jail, and he basically went to jail by himself. Basically, put himself behind bars, and even the police didn't want to take him there. And I thought that was astonishing. The police, well, yeah, the police wouldn't take him when he got it. He had to have a had to have his family drive him to jail, and there was a long procession that followed him to prison and then when he got there the jailer wouldn't even put him in his cell threw him the keys and said if you want to go to jail he says here's the keys i'm not putting you in jail and we had we had had estimated uh my wife and i estimated that in by the 20 years um he had he had uh worked on people he had to have uh, prescribed and operated on a million people in Brazil. He was a national hero. Uh, a million people, and at the trial, there was not one person who could say that they had been harmed by him. Now, that's an extraordinary record. I've never heard of any doctor having that kind of approval record. Uh, even the best doctors, the best surgeons, will have some people complaining at them. They couldn't find one person to testify against them. And, you know, the thing that uh, it was, I mean, that is a a chapter that I could literally read over and over again because it's so miraculous is is really the only true word. And what and the other thing that I was kind of shocking to me was that he didn't know that he was actually doing those things. Yeah, it's almost like he went into a whole different dimension, not knowing and and performed these surgeries and then eventually he started prescribing the correct medicines that even those prescriptions were astonishing to other doctors yeah exactly true um he when they show he said he didn't know he didn't know whether he was performing the operations or not when they when the when the trial came and so the uh, the, the prosecutor said well here's proof for you and they showed films of him operating on people in the courtroom and I would go passed out. He fainted when he looked at the operations. He couldn't handle it because he was simply <laughs> he was simply not present when he was performing them. Yeah. Yeah. And that it, yeah, to me, that is definitely a story that uh, should be on the silver screen. And I, and I think it would be one of the most remarkable movies because the fact is, it's all true, and I think more and more people, even today, they need to see the unexplained. They need to see the miraculous, uh, and I think we need something like that right now. Well, I'm glad you feel that way. That's a lot of the reason why why I put the book in print. There was a series of events that had 
changed my life and, and gave me a uh, uh, a deeper view of reality and, and what is out there for us. We put our minds to it. We tune our uh, attune our radar to uh, the possible. And uh, it's, it's a lot of times when people are are, are frightened uh, now and uh, afraid of what the future holds. And having an idea of what is possible, what is miraculous, and and simultaneously available to us, it seems to me very, very comforting and and positive and hopeful. Oh, absolutely! And I think uh, you know miracles alone bring bring hope to a lot of people, and and they they need things like that. They need to see things like that. They may we may not always understand how those things happen. And sometimes that's not important. It's just knowing that it has happened. We accept it. Yeah. You know, sometimes I think that we don't need to be searching for answers for every single thing. But um, but there are some very good things out there that I think that brings a new light uh, to mankind. And it was it's funny because in your book you were filming a movie. Um, I, the subject matter is like wartime. Uh, you're we're filming scenes at a concentration camp, and the book about Esther and I and I'm trying to remember. Um, I want to make sure that I pronounce her last name correctly. I know some people may pronounce it as Rob. Oh, Esther Rob. Rob. And yes, yeah. and and you had and you kind of struck up a friendship with her, and the conversation that you and Esther had. And, and you had asked her, has she always been happy? Because it, it's really hard to understand happiness from someone that had been in a concentration camp, may have seen their relatives and loved ones killed or, or, or died in that type of setting. And you, you asked her, has, has, have you always been happy? And she said, always, even the concentration camp. And you asked her how this could be. And I thought, and I loved her answer. She said, I have a deep belief in the Almighty, and I think He knows what He's doing. And for the first time, um, you couldn't remember ever having encountered that degree of belief before. So what was going through your mind at this point? And did you believe in God at all yourself at the time? Well, I believe, yeah, I don't believe in it, it, it the way... Uh the way a lot of people do i do i do have a belief in in uh in, a, in an ordered and uh intelligent uh cosmos i do but my my view of it would be more in line with a buddhist view than i would i would say a christian view uh it, it amounts to the same thing it, it amounts to a, a moral and trusting uh a life trusting of uh of uh, the possibilities of things and and hope for and a hopeful life and a, and a peaceful life, uh, but the words are, are, are a little bit different. God implies to me uh, a kind of guy up there who's masterminding things. I don't believe in it that way. I believe, but, but I do believe that the universe is a conscious organism uh, and, and knows what it's doing. That I do believe. Yeah, because I know that, um, you know, as humans, we have free will. We have the ability to choose, to make choices. If, you know, they can be good, they could be bad. 
but in the end, it's free will. And, you know, for her, I was, you know, and, and I've read other stories about people who had been in concentration camps, and, and a lot of them believed that it was God or it was the Lord that, that, that brought them out uh, alive and that, and I think that, to, and I can't even imagine, you know, being in that type of situation and not knowing what is going to happen from moment to moment, but to have those people, probably some people that grasp and, and held on to a belief that got them through that terrible time. Right. Yeah. She, she was kind of miraculous. Uh, she was, she was, you walked into a room and you could see her from a distance. She was as if there was a bright light surrounding her. Uh, <laughs> always smiling, always, always seemed to be happy. Uh, and, uh, it was a great lesson for me. You know, I want all of my listeners to realize, and I'm not going to give it away because even, I mean, the chapter on Esther, I, I literally love it. I think I can almost memorize that whole chapter, but ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I do, I do want you to buy Alan Arkin's book out of my mind because this one chapter has a story that I do not, I'm not even going to, I don't want to give away the ending because the ending is so amazing. And, and I will say this, it's a feel-good ending, and and I just loved it. I embraced it, uh, Alan, uh, so much because I believe with what had happened to Esther uh, and getting out of the concentration camp, I truly believe that those those things really happen. And when I read that and and just loved the uh, the positive, happy ending to her story, um, it, it really made my day. Well, I'm glad. That makes me very happy that I achieved my purpose. You did. You did. And and I want to ask you, too, because I know that uh, in your cha- uh, you have a chapter about your teacher, John. And um, yeah. I, I love the quote that says, if I have learned anything at all, I have learned that judgment is a quality to keep myself as far removed from from as humanly possible now do you still keep yourself from the judgment of others even today and i know that here in america i try with all my heart it's a tough one i mean i i grew up being very very judgmental and uh i started to recognize not only what what i was doing to my mind my mind but what it was doing to my body as well uh, and uh, I worked and continue to work very, very hard to keep myself from falling into that terrible trap. Yes, I believe it with all my heart. I, I see it. I see. I see how it affects me physically and emotionally. Um, and uh, I, I shun it like like the plague. You know, I've got to hand it to you on that one because I think in today's time. Um, we have a spirit of judgment that is so great that now we have this thing called cancel culture, which really carries a lot of judgment upon people that, you know, maybe, you know, a lot of people do have things in their past that they've done wrong and, and they've probably paid the price or, um, you know, turn their lives around into doing something positive but it seems like mankind does not forgive sin easily. And uh, 
I think a lot of people can uh, take your book and learn some some wisdom here and avoiding judgment at all cost. You agree? Oh, absolutely. I would certainly hope so. I mean, if you're getting a piece of that out of the book, I, I am I am honored and thrilled. Uh, it's fascinating too how different negative aspects of human behavior attacks specific parts of the body. Uh, I, I don't understand the principle, but uh, it fascinates me that uh, certain certain problems seem to be associated with certain parts of your anatomy, uh, and and it's almost inescapable. Uh, I've seen it happen over over and over and over again. Oh, it's absolutely true. Yeah, it's true, and I know that people who um, uh, I, I've read stories, I've seen it firsthand. People that have dealt with um, severe cases of uh, joint pain and arthritis um, has been linked to bitterness in their life that they need to get rid of. They they need to walk through, uh, let's say, uh, forgiving and letting go. And I've seen those people to where that joint pain, that joint stiffness literally just went away because they finally let that go that they were holding on so deeply inside. Well, that's fascinating, Ward. That's, that's really interesting. I think there's a, there's a uh, there's a woman out who cured herself of some terrible disease called Louise Hay. I don't know if you know that that woman, but she has a book out mm. even uh, uh, that identifies with specific physical problems with with uh, parts of the body and and ways to deal with it. It's fascinating. Uh, it, it is. Yeah. I do know. I do know. I mean, this is even yeah. medically uh, proven now. I'm, you must know that that uh, tension, which is fear, uh, creates blockages in your system and creates inflammation. And they, they have now have made the, the uh, connection between inflammation and most diseases. Uh, I'm sure you know about that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've studied... Uh... Uh, Chinese medicinal uh, medicine and the Chinese have a very strong link to understanding emotion uh, or different types of emotion can actually create disease um, for with the Chinese they yeah. believe that the liver itself holds much of our emotion so a lot of people who hold things in could end up with you know liver congestion or uh, problems in that area problems in digestion yeah. But uh, no, I completely believe that there's a, there's a huge, powerful link between our emotional state, our our thought processes, and how the physical body can actually feed off of those things, and the the human body can be can reveal positive things, or based on what somebody has within them or the way that they act or what their yeah. attitude could be, the body could actually uh, go into a diseased state. And by changing one's yeah. ways, they healing can come into their body. And I think that's very much overlooked in medical science today. Well, it's, I think it's more and more becoming part of the, the medical lexicon. I think that doctors are more and more recognizing the fact that there is a connection. They didn't even know there was a connection between health and diet until recently. <laughs> Which which is crazy because they've known that for 
for for centuries about if uh, diet and animal behavior. They know what to feed their horses. They know what to feed their dogs. But it didn't occur to them that the same principles apply to human beings as well. Yeah, and uh, so that the science of nutrition is crazy but it's relatively new yeah i know it i was like i was actually at a i'm not going to mention the um the hospital or the research center but i was there visiting one day and i was in the alzheimer's uh research department and i was talking to the lead researcher and i asked her a simple question which i already knew the answer to i just wanted to hear what she had to say and i asked her i said do you think nutrition and the way that people eat uh, has a direct link to Alzheimer's. And she looked at me with a straight face and said, absolutely not. And my thought process was, you're an idiot. <laughs> I'm thinking, you may have an MD, but you're an idiot. <laughs> you and I are smarter than that, Alan. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, but I, yeah, I want to continue talking yeah. to your book for um, a few more minutes here because uh, it's absolutely fascinating. It's a beautiful, beautifully written book. And there's a story in your book about... In which you had your your son Tony was about five or six years old and and he had a fever, uh, he was sick and you tell the story about you laying your hands on your son Tony, th that had the fever and you, okay uh -huh. um it's it's not oh are you gonna tell it? you want me to tell it or you oh no that? yeah yeah go yeah you go ahead you go ahead and uh, tell it and then I'll ask a question uh, right after okay yeah well um, I had read about he. Nothing was helping my son. He had a very high fever, and he's always, he's been very stoic since he was a little kid. And it broke my heart. I couldn't stand him seeing, I couldn't stand seeing him in pain. Nothing was breaking the fever, and he was an enormous amount of uh, discomfort and torment. And uh, so I, I had been reading about things like healing. I didn't know anything about it, but I said, but, but he and I had a very close symbiotic relationship. So. I, I, I I said, well, nothing else is working. Let me try this. I put my hands on Tony. I said, Tony, give me the fever. Give me the, give me your sickness. And he was about five or six, so a sense of wonder and possibility hadn't closed down yet. So uh, he did it. He 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 just closed his eyes and concentrated on on giving me his sickness. And we did that for about two or three minutes. I. I guess, and about three, maybe four, I, have, I don't remember, I'm three, four minutes in, I felt this enormous uh, force throw me across the room, threw me completely across the room, and I banged my, the back of my head in the wall, and I, it felt malevolent. I don't know why I say that, I don't know why I feel that, but it was just a strange feeling I had. It didn't feel like a good energy. It felt, uh, it felt not good. And it stayed in my system for maybe a minute, and then it was gone, and I felt fine. I went over to Tony. I put my hands on him, and I could feel that his fever was completely gone. We took it with a the thermometer. It was gone, and he was, he was, he was fine. And I, I, I thought, well, maybe I'm a healer. Maybe I can do that now. And I tried it on other people. I never had it work again. Well, I had it work again on Tony once, but that was it. 
But I guess it was something that in my relationship with him that allowed this thing to happen. But it made me uh, absolutely positive that this was a reality, that uh, that a psychic healing, I guess, I don't know what else to call it, but uh, psychic healing is indeed a reality. Uh, and needs the same kind of investigation as as other healing. Yeah, I I, I believe that because yeah, because when I read when I read that your explanation of that story, and you know, and and I didn't just read your book and and just literally just blow through it. No, I read each chapter. I I sat here at my desk and I was taking notes from each chapter. Well, I'm really touched. And so I could create and form form this interview because. I love the experiences and the stories that people tell. And when I read this story in the way that you explained it with your son, Tony, and the thing that really, I think that uh, spoke to me and I, cause I was sitting there trying to figure out, I said, okay, so he, he's laying his hands on his son and he says, Tony, g- give me your sickness. And the thing that moved me more than anything, and, and the only explanation that I could personally give on that story was, is that the love of the Father is, in a way, very powerful in that area of possibly bringing healing. It, it reminded me that, you know, Jesus was laying his hands on everyone who came to him to be healed and it was because of his love for all the people. Some people came, everybody who came was healed, but there were those who left believing in him, and there were those who left with healing but didn't really believe that he was the son of God. But my question to you is, do you think love alone has the power to heal, and do you believe that it was your intense love for your son that brought that kind of healing? I don't know. That's, a, that's an assumption that, I, 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 that I've made many times. I like to think that certainly it's a huge part of the equation, but I, I, I don't really know. Uh, I know what happened, and I, I have thoughts about it, but I don't have any, any hard, hard answers. Well, the great thing is, is that uh, your son was healed not only that, but I also uh, uh, was amazed on when you did the same thing when he had that severe sunburn in Puerto Rico. Yeah, yeah, the same thing happened. I was... I left him alone. I, it was my negligence. I, I was caught up in this meeting, and he was out on the beach all by himself without any sunscreen on. And I came down and looked at him after two hours when this bright Puerto Rican sun had been on him for a couple of hours, and he was turning bright red, and I got scared. I said, oh, my God, this is going to be second-degree burns. And uh, uh, I had had the other experience with him, so I took him. There was a, the, the building I was having meeting in had a... Outside had a lot of very, very thick, heavy columns. And I took him behind one of the columns where there was some shade. And I said, Tony, give me give me the sunburns. Can you do that? And uh, we just tried the same thing again. And five minutes of that, I didn't have that same feeling of malevolent force that I had with uh, with the fever. Uh, I didn't feel anything in particular, but after five minutes, his sunburn was gone. There was not a trace of it. He didn't even need any sun cream or, or anything. He was not in pain or discomfort, and uh, it was another incidence of the 
incident of the of the same kind of thing never happened again. I hasten to say I I wish it had. I wish I could say that I had some talent in that arena, but I I, I was given the talent for those two occasions and then not again. Well, I have one last question for you uh, today. I want, and I want to thank you right now for the pleasure, the honor, and I want to thank you for giving us your time today because I know you're a very oh, busy man. My, my delight, Ward. <laughs> well, my last question is this, and it really comes towards the end of the book. And and I believe that the, the greatest truth in your book, out of my mind— um, and it is this, and, and I quote, Growth is often accompanied by sadness and melancholy, but first accompanied by a sense of loss. What did you lose so you could gain or find yourself? <laughs> well, find, finding yourself, I don't know if it goes so far as to say that I've absolutely find myself. It's a process. It's a, it's a constant uh process i don't want to lose the door to the possibility of you know, keeping i want to keep that door open the possibility that i have much more to find out about myself in the way of finding but what i uh what, i forgot the question <laughs> well uh, the, the question is uh you know w- with the quote growth is often accompanied by sadness and melancholy oh yeah but first accompanied by we live yes. on this i i, I remember yeah the, the reason is, and this I'm quite sure of, is that we live with so many illusions about what our lives are going to consist of, what we think they, that we're entitled to, what we, what we want from other people, what we want life to give us, that when a truth presents itself to you, it's very often in opposition to what our fantasies are about what life is going to be. And in my case, I feel like I had so many illusions about what I thought my life was going to feel like when certain things happened, that giving up an illusion every time it presented itself was always sad, because we want to live by our illusions. Our illusions are our daydreams or what we think gives life meaning, but it doesn't. I th- I've, I've, what I've learned and continue to learn is life as it is is infinitely more glorious and and uh, amazing and promising uh, even in its most difficult times than any of our fantasies about what we think it's going to uh, be like. I agree with that. I agree with that, Alan. Because you know, even even myself, uh, you know, if I'm creating a a media project of some sort. We we always seem to have the idealistic illusion, but that idealistic illusion is always the end result. But then we have to sit back and realize the realistic part of it is going to be the journey to get there. And it is the journey in which we learn so much more about ourselves, about other people. And hopefully eventually we get to that end result that was the idealistic idea that started us in the journey in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Very so, yeah, I agree with well that. Well put. Yeah, very good. I agree completely. Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, Alan, it has been, again, it's been an absolute honor, a pleasure. Uh, again, I want to thank you for your time. And, uh, ladies and gentlemen, 
Uh, his book is called Out of My Mind uh, in paperback and also as a download on Kindle. I think I have a whole library on my, my Kindle, and uh, this is a must-read book. It will not take you too long to get through it, but every story will pierce your heart. It will get you to thinking. It'll get you to ponder. It'll make you think about life, your own life. And uh, you may discover things about yourself you didn't know before because of the words and the, uh, the experiences that Alan Arkin has shared in that book and shared with us today. And I want to thank you for that. Well, it's been lovely uh, talking to you, Ward, and I, I'm enormously touched by your uh, acceptance of it. I can imagine some people thinking I am out of my mind, which is part of the reason for the title of the book. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I, I, I'm very, very moved by your, your open acceptance of, of what I'm talking about. Uh, and everything you said about me goes right back to you. I feel the same way about talking to you. Oh, thank you so much. And, and again, it's, uh, it's been the highlight of my day to uh, spend time with you and you spending time with us sharing about your book. And again, ladies and gentlemen, October 13th is the debut date of Out of My Mind by Alan Arkin. It is his ninth book. We consider this the mini memoir uh, available in paperback. And again, you'll be able to download it on your Kindle. And I expect all of my listeners to get Alan's book when it debuts again on October 13th. And so, ladies and gentlemen, remember to catch every episode of Life-Changing Wellness. Just hit subscribe on iTunes or on my show page at RadioMD.com slash Dr. Bond. And if I can ask you a favor, please take 30 seconds, rate the show on iTunes, and you know this episode is worth five stars, and hopefully, according to Alan Arkin, it's worth an Oscar. So thank you for doing that for me as we want to bring you the best show possible. Just look up Dr. Bond's Life-Changing Wellness on any streaming service. You can learn more about me at DrWardBond.com. And again... Thank you for listening to Life-Changing Wellness. And remember, something spectacular happens when you treat your body right. Have a blessed day, everyone.